Thank you to the worship team. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. We're going to come from the Mount of Transfiguration is where we were uh, to go. Uh, kind of like a mountaintop experience with the disciples, uh, being with Jesus, uh, seeing really who Jesus was for the first time, hearing the voice of, voice of God. And now Jesus is going to take that group and get the, the whole group of disciples back together. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, starting in verse 14, there's going to be a couple things I want you to see. One thing that I want you to see is the crowd. There's going to be a group of people that are going to gather around Jesus. What I find interesting is who's in the crowd and the choices that are made by the people that are the one individual in the crowd that we're going to specifically look at. The other thing that I want you to see is this concept of more. As Jesus interacts with this group of individuals, He says some things that kind of shocked me as I was just working my way through uh, Matthew chapter 17. And and so hopefully as you wrestle with this uh, concept of more in just a second, I'll share that with you. And then probably the most famous part of Matthew chapter 17 is that whole mustard seed comment. If they would just would have the faith of the mustard seed. So this morning we're going to get a chance to kind of look at faith and look how it all kind of fits together in in this passage of Scripture, not just always pull out, you know, the mustard seed concept. But it's amazing to me, as you end in looking at verse 22, as this group is with Jesus, his disciples, he says to them, again, I'm going to die. He's saying to the crowd that's around in the, in the disciples, it, it's really about my death. It's really going to be about the cross. And so this morning, as you have the Word of God in front of you, I'm going to start back with this crowd. So go back to to Matthew chapter 17. Look at verse 14. And when he came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epic and suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire, often falls into water. And I brought him to your disciples. I, I went that far, God. I went to your disciples. I brought him there. They could not help him. Just stop there. We have a father. And I want you to see something here. I don't think at times we look at circumstances or things that are going on in our life, maybe from a, from a right perspective. And I'll share that with you in just a second when it comes to this whole more concept. But you have a father that's in the midst of the crowd. You have a father that's going to do something that I don't know how many other fathers were in that crowd. I don't know what was going on with the other fathers that were in the crowd. But Matthew's going to account to us about this one father. In the midst of having this son that has seizures, that falls into the fire, and I'm sure has obvious scars on his skin and body, face, neck, whatever, obvious signs that something's wrong with this person. But this man addresses Jesus. And I find it interesting how he addresses Jesus. He's at Jesus' feet. This situation has caused this father to humble himself and get down on his knees, and he's at the feet of Jesus. Now, I realize that some of you don't mind feet, but there's other people in here that mind feet. 
I know all of us probably don't celebrate a whole lot our humility and say, you know, by the way, two weeks ago I fell on my face before Jesus. I just want to celebrate that with you. But it's probably really that we something that we should be kind of common for us to say, you know what, I went, I had this situation, I just fell on my face before God and said, God, I, I, I got to have you. This man in the crowd, because of the circumstance, is on his face before Jesus. And I want you to see the Father's words to Jesus. Mercy. Father, Jesus, you're the only one that can help me. I don't deserve this. He doesn't go on this big, long lecture how good his son is or how what he's accomplished. And by the way, I love you a whole lot, God, and I'm really excited about you, Jesus. He just falls on his face amongst the crowd. Didn't care what anybody else thought. But his situation brought him to a place that said, hey, I will go to humble myself before Jesus. So you're the only one that can help. He went to the disciples, you'll see that. The disciples couldn't do that. If you want to cross-reference to Mark chapter 9, you're going to see how Mark reads you through this passage of Scripture. We won't do that this morning because of time. But I want to, I want to talk to you this morning about something. I don't know if, it, if in your home, if it's circumstances or issues or stress or whatever it is, but there's a crowd that's gathered today, and I know that there's things that are going on in your life. Let's just use that perspective. I don't know what they are, but I know the one I would encourage you to turn to in humility. And I believe that is a biblical focus in Scripture. As you watch men and and women go through circumstances, a lot of those circumstances were God-ordained. I want to take you to one. Take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. If you spent any time in Sunday school, you know by a young man by the name of Joseph. When you think about Joseph, you'll probably be reminded of the coat of many colors. His father loved him dearly. Joseph had a dream and thought his brothers really loved him, so he interpreted the dream. So one day you're going to bow down before me. But in Genesis chapter 37, I want you to look at verse 15. His father had asked his son to go do something. In verse 15 you read these words, A man found him wandering in the fields and asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. He said, Tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone. I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. He saw them from afar. Before he came to them, they conspired to say, you know what? This guy is incredible. We love our brother. And we want to celebrate with him. You ever ask yourself this question? I don't know I've said this before. Who was the man in the field? Was that Jesus? I'm not going to jump up and down and be dogmatic, but I find it very interesting that God placed a man in the field to send Joseph to brothers who wanted to kill him. I find it interesting that God had a plan 
to send his brother, this guy by the name of Joseph, into some extreme difficulty. And yet I live in America, and I know Jesus loves me, and I know I put my faith in Christ, but we're living in a society that says, well, you know what, just say, Jesus, I love you, and then you can tell him what you want him to do for you for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, I love you, Jesus. Now you need to do this, this, and this, because it's really all about me. But as I work my way through Scripture, time and time again, I see my Father, my God, my Jesus, send people into situations. This one is going to be sent to be sold as a slave. If you want to read on down, Reuben spares his life. Verse 23 said, Joseph, when he came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many covers that he wore, and they took him and they threw him in a pit. The pit was empty, but there was no water in it. And then verse 26, and Judah said to his brothers, what profit is we kill our brother and conceal his, bro- his blood? Wouldn't you like to have brothers like that? What's it going to profit for us if we kill you? We'll just sell you off then. Do you ever wonder if Joseph heard those words? How far away from the pit were they when his brothers were saying, you know what, we hate him anyway. Let's just kill this guy. In the midst of that, they... Verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up. Can you imagine looking at your brothers after they've tossed you in a pit? Your brothers have bound you, they've lifted you back up, and your brothers sell you as a slave. Now just give us 20 pieces of silver. (laughs) We hate him that much. Let's get rid of this guy. You go to Genesis chapter 39, then... You know, Joseph had been brought to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, in verse 1 of chapter 39, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, and they brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master of his Egyptians. You know the Sunday school part of it, but drop over to verse 9. He was not greater, he says in Verse 9 of chapter 39, he's not greater than anyone in the house than I am, nor have he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wait a minute. Sin against the God that sold him as a slave? Sin against the God that gave him brothers? That hated him? Sin against the God that, that was in the, whoever that man was in the, in the field was the God that said, hey, just go that way. Why not go the total opposite direction? Why did that man say, go to the easy road. Go to where it's going to be comfortable. You don't want to be around your brothers. We heard you talking about that. They don't like you. No, the man said, go here. If you have some time, go to Genesis chapter 15. And you're going to hear a guy by the name of Joseph look his brothers in the eye and he'll say these words, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. So here we are this morning in a crowd. And I don't know the situations. But there's a temptation for that crowd to be a crowd that just wants more of Jesus. 
And I'm not talking about the more. I want you to go back to, to Matthew chapter 17. Verse 17, Jesus answers in Matthew 17, 17. And Jesus answers them, O faithless and twisted generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Just stop there. How Can you imagine? Look at the response of Jesus. It's almost like he had been with them, and, and if you... If you want to read this afternoon, Matthew chapter 4 goes to 23 to 24. You can go to Matthew, uh, also chapter 8, and read about the miracles of Jesus, starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus did some incredible things for these people. Thousands of people were healed. Lame walked. Lives were radically changed. But I don't think it, it filtered down from here. There was almost like there were a generation saying, you know what, God, we just need more. We need you to do more of what we want you to do. It's almost like, you remember if you're, if you're around a group of kids and you set out a, a thing of candy, and you can say to them, okay, you can have four pieces of candy. What are they going to ask you? I really want five. Okay, now you get three. Well, we, you said four. It's, just, it's, ne- it's never enough, right? No matter what the number is, either you're going to get in trouble with the kid or you're going to get in trouble with the parent. One of those things is going to happen, right? But now think about your relationship with Christ. The one who walked down the road with the purple robe and the, and the crown of thorns on his head. Are you going to him and saying, you know what, I, just, I just need more. You say you love me, so you're just supposed to make me happy. And so in this, in this passage of Scripture, it's interesting to me. There's a temptation for us to love Jesus for what he can do for us and not because of who he is. Do you love Jesus for what he does for you or who Jesus is? It's my relationship. Okay, I need a little bit more of this. Well, you know, this. And in the midst of all of that, it all kind of hinges on this one, one word. Faith. Will you trust him? I mean, he says, to, he's told the disciples, if you have faith of a mustard seed, and now I went and bought some mustard seed years ago. I have it sitting in my office. There's a jar like this. I just wanted to see how small it was. And this mustard seed's pretty small. And Jesus says to the disciples, if you just have faith to the mustard seed, you can move the mountains. They could have healed this boy. But they were going through the motions. If you read in Mark chapter 9, this demon was removed by prayer and fasting. This demon was, could have been removed by one of the disciples who had an intimate relationship with Christ. Because you know what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 18? Who's going to be the greatest? That's what they're thinking about. They're coming down from the mountain. The crowd is gathered. There's an individual there that's broken and has a need. And it's not the disciples. It's the Father. The Father that cannot do anything to help his son but go to the feet of Jesus. And that's where he goes. And so now privately we go off to this little conversation with the disciples that have seen incredible things done. That should have been jumping up and down and saying, oh yeah, you got a demon? <laughs> I got power. 
Jesus gave it to me. I can get rid of that demon. But they were going through the motions. It was almost like, yeah, I checked off, went to church. Oh, yep, read my Bible. And so when I think about faith, I want to put three words on this screen when it comes to faith. Faith is having the courage to let God have control. Now, we all kind of know that. But some of us are control freaks. And it's got to be, and then you are okay. I love God. He'll never keep it inside of your box and in your control. It will not happen. So the earlier on in life you learn this, the less gray hair you'll end up with. Trust him. Just sit back and trust faith. This is how faith kind of works. Content, for instance. So faith has three parts. As I was doing some reading by an author this week called uh, Jim Boyce. And so you got three concepts of, of things that go around this word faith. Content, example, John 14, verse 6. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. I love the content. I approve that. Because it's in the Scriptures. Now what's interesting is, do I trust that? Has that been ever um, poured out of my mouth other than just in a church setting where I'm saying, you know what, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Am I living that way? So it's one thing for me to know the content. It's another thing for me to approve it, but it's another thing that it affects my lifestyle. I act differently because of the trust and because of the content, because I have faith in my Father. Is that your relationship with Jesus? It's easy to know the content, and a lot of times it's kind of fun to approve it. I I approve that God loves me. Jesus gave his best gift himself. He died on the cross for me. He emptied himself. I love the content. But do I trust the example that I'm supposed to be a servant leader in my home? Whoa, hold on a second. Time out. Different. Am I going to be willing to humble myself? Whoa, hold on a second. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Humbled himself, even became obedient to death on the cross. When was the last time you were on your face before Jesus in humility? Saying, I, I need you. Mercy. I don't deserve it, but I have an, I need, I gotta have you. There's no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. It's gonna cost you. A couple of years ago, Eric came to me and said, you want to go to the gym? I, you know, Eric, I'm, I really don't like gyms. It's like, well, why don't you come work out with us? I should have been smart enough to say, Eric, I think I know you a little bit. And your personality and character, one of your character quality is, you don't take no for an answer. And then if I do say yes, I know that you're going to put more weight on that bench than I really want to lift. And that means the next two or three days, my arms are not going to move because I went to the gym with you. And then he said to me, by the way, do you want to learn how to plank? And I'm not going to show you what that is. Sometime we need to get Zach up here because we can set the timer. And Zach, I think, can plank for, is it over four minutes? 38 minutes. I can last about a minute, and I say, okay, I'm done. Eric's like, oh, just keep on going. It's fun. I'm like, Eric, you're weird. And so I understand 
what it, when I go to the gym, I know the next two or three days, whatever muscle group I work or Eric, whatever Eric decides to do, because I don't like to decide anything. Eric just says, we're going to do this today. Great, whatever. Because it's kind of hard to tell Eric, you know, I'd rather do this today. But I know those muscles are going to hurt. What spiritual muscles hurting inside of you? Where has God said, by the way, I want to teach you patience, and this is probably going to hurt, but now you are a more patient person because of that process. So in the end of all this, okay, so now here we're going to wrap this up this way. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So if you put this passage of Scripture together, it starts out with a crowd. Jesus, individual, the man's coming to Jesus for the cross. Faith of a mustard seed. Disciples, you really need to have an intimate relationship with me. And by the way, I'm going to die. Is this coincidence? Is Jesus going to ask you to die to yourself? His father said, this is the plan. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. So this morning, the crowd is here, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know what's going on. But there's a temptation for you to say, you know what? Just give me more, Jesus. Just make me happy. I would strongly encourage you, if you're that son or that daughter that's trying to tell Jesus what to do, you really do not love Jesus. It's just really a representation of you being spoiled. It's really for you to challenge you with your faith. Will you trust What he has said. Another verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him, he set it aside, the cross. I'm going to the cross. You cannot stop me. What does he want us to do? Throw off everything that so easily entangles. Throw off sin. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? The race is marked out for us. He ordained today. He knew you'd be here. Will you accept the truth that you've received? Daniel Henderson, I was reading one of his books, uh, actually last night looking at some of it, and here's a quote out of it. We have to make sure the sizzle of a service does not diminish the spiritual death and the enjoyment of our our common walk with God. We do not live at Disney World. While we all love extraordinary vacations, most of life is very mundane. Will you listen now? Will you pause your heart before God and say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? Is he calling you to be one in the crowd saying, hey, I'm coming to you 
I'm broken. I need you. Is he challenging your faith this morning? I don't know. I could spend hours trying to apply it to every single person. I can't do that. But what I can say to you is, here's the scriptures. It's in your opportunity now to grasp the scriptures. Listen. Pause your, your, your thought process. Go home this afternoon. Whip your Bible back out. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Say, Father, what do you want to say to me? Humble yourself before him. Listen to that still small voice. We were at the wedding and, and with Matt and Megan, and weddings are very stressful for me. Um, just my, I don't want to mess up people's names. I've, I have a tendency to do that, especially at weddings like Devin and Caroline. Maxie, I call them Daryline. I have no idea where that came from. Um, another wedding I was at, we had been doing all this premarital counseling. And so the, the rehearsal dinner, the girl says, comes to me and says, my name is not Laura, my name is Laura. And I really prefer on my wedding day that you call me by the proper name. I'm up all night long trying to remember, is it Laura or Laura? Laura, Laura. I'm, I didn't hardly sleep. I get there to the wedding day, and I say to the groom, Okay, am I supposed to say Laura or Laura? He says, I just call her Laura because that's what I want. I'm like, that's not what I want you to know. So and so here I'm with Matt and Megan, and I just want to show you an example. Here I am. God's doing some things in my mind, and I totally missed this, okay? I'm standing there with them, and this gush of wind just goes right after they did Amazing Grace, all the people in front, which at least... Uh, recorded that Matthew's uncle and they they played Amazing Grace. And it was like the Holy Spirit just blew this wind right through. I'm not even paying attention, right? I got my I'm moving now trying to get my microphone shielded from the wind and all of a sudden the wind stopped. So we had supper with Dale and Lori. It was like it was like just God just blew this wind. Did you see the cross behind it? I'm like, no. I'm too stinking stressed out. These are my notes. Don't mess up. Do this, this and this. It's a wedding. And I'm totally missed it there. Until Friday night we started talking about it. I'm like Hello, you dummy, if you'd have been paying attention. But I missed it because I wasn't listening. Don't walk out of here without listening. Don't walk in here thinking, oh, yeah, the pastor's supposed to give me this, this, and this. Listen to the scriptures. Say, God, I heard you this morning. Whatever that is for you. And now allow that to be, to affect who you are. Father, thank you for allowing us to be around your scriptures today. So, Father, now we have information that's just kind of running through our mind. Allow us to pause and think our way through information. But really, more than any of that, Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to come to you in reverence and say, okay, what are you, what are you saying to me today? Oh, I might have said something. You're going to get something maybe totally different than anything that was ever said. I love it when people say, wow. You said this. I never said that. But that's what the Holy Spirit wanted that person to hear. So what are you saying today, Dad? What do you have for us? Make it clear. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to mold us and shape us. We need you to speak to us. We need comfort and encouragement and correction. 
We know that God loves us. But don't let us grow up to be spoiled little sons and daughters that always want more. Give me, give me, give me. May we humble ourselves before you and say, okay, Father, I heard you. Thank you for allowing us to meet around the scriptures today, Father. May you use the scriptures to mold and shape our lives into spiritually mature sons and daughters. Because we were willing to put in the effort. We were willing to stretch our muscles. We were willing to hurt. We were being willing to make whole again because you're our Father. Thank you, Jesus. Your name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.